Good morning. So good to be with all of you. Welcome today to Fort Caroline Baptist Church. And if you are with us online, thank you for being with us. Let us know where you're watching from. And uh, thank you guys for being in the room today, bearing uh, with the rain outside. But uh, we are glad you're here. My name is Ricky. I'm the lead pastor here at Fort Caroline Baptist Church. And it is my honor to spend some time with you today. Before we move into the message, though, I want to make an announcement that starting next Sunday, our church will move to a mask optional uh, activities for all across the board, whether it's worship or our life groups or our children's activities. And so I wanted you to know that we've been trying to follow the best advice we get from our health officials and state officials, um, but also common sense. We probably, as a church, err more on the side of caution and being careful for the most vulnerable people among us. And uh, we want to continue to be sensitive to people. So we're going to encourage you, starting next Sunday, that masks will be optional. So you do what you're comfortable with. And even when we're on campus, because it's kind of hard for us to maintain six feet social distancing, just do the best that you can and be sensitive to those who are around you. If you have any questions about that or concerns, you can either check out our website, fcbc.life, or you can call us during the week at the office. We'd be happy to answer any questions that you might have. As you can see, we're in a series called Comeback, Never Too Late, Never Too Far Gone for a Comeback. And we've been looking at the Easter, the resurrection story uh, this week, this month. And today we're going to do the same thing. I'm going to take you back to Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 36. I don't know how old you are, but you probably remember it was in 2007 that this thing debuted Apple debuted the iPhone in 2007, and their slogan was, This Changes Everything. That was a good tagline. Even though there were other smartphones on the market at the time, Apple said, This Changes Everything. And then, fast forward to the year 2010, they introduced the iPhone 4. And so they had to come up with a new tagline, a new slogan, a new marketing angle, and so they just decided on the slogan, this changes everything again. <laughs> I remember in the early 90s, the Dodge Viper uh, debuted, and one of the slogans that they used to introduce the Dodge Viper with over 400 horsepower, zero to 60 in about four seconds, this changes everything. That seems to be a marketing campaign a lot of companies for their new products or their new services will proclaim this product or this service changes everything. And most of the time, that is just simple hyperbole. It doesn't change everything. But there is something, if true, lives up to the hype. This changes everything. And it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ physically walked out of a grave alive, having been crucified and dead, this changes everything. This means that there is a God in heaven who loves us with an indescribable love. This means that God in heaven demonstrated how much he loves us, his wayward, sinful children, who often abuse him and other people he demonstrated his great love in sending his son Jesus to live a perfect life, representing us. And he gave his life, his righteous life as a sacrifice for our sin. He paid the price for us to be forgiven and brought into the family of God and 
brought into a right relationship with God. And he was vindicated that he is the Son of God and he did die for our sins because he walked out of the grave three days after his death like he promised he would. And he promised as the victorious Lord that whoever believes in him will not perish in their sin but will have eternal life. Friend, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And the great privilege for those of us who are followers of Jesus is that we not only know this is true, we also have the great privilege, the priority and the purpose in life to go and tell this good news to other people. In fact, maybe you're new to Christianity and you're checking out this church thing and you wonder why do these Christians make such a big deal out of telling other people about Jesus? It is because he walked out of the grave alive. And this changes everything, not just for us, but even for you, if you will place your confidence in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Now, the problem is too many of us are living lives as if Jesus didn't walk out of the grave alive. We're living lives filled with fear. We're afraid of what someone may think of us if they know that we're followers of Jesus. We're afraid of how the... the, world may treat us if we stand up for Jesus. And we're living in fear of what others may think about us or do to us. Some are living in doubt. That they struggle with their doubts and their questions. And I don't understand all the things of the Bible. And because of their doubts, they get locked in and sidelined. And they don't tell other people about Jesus. There are others, I see, who are followers of Jesus, but they're not serious about the Scriptures. If they do come to church on a Sunday morning or check out a worship service on a Sunday morning, they may or may not open up their Bible and follow along. But chances are most followers of Jesus do not read the scriptures in between Sunday services. And because of that, there is this lack of a biblical understanding of God's purpose in the world. And then, of course, there... There are people who are followers of Jesus, and yet they're living lives of weakness and powerlessness. To to live for Christ, and to stand up for Christ, and to be a witness for Christ, and to live a godly life for Christ. They're trying to do the Christian life in their own strength, and they're failing miserably. Not recognizing that you don't have the strength you need to live for Jesus and to stand up for Jesus and to share the gospel of Jesus. You need a power that's outside of yourself if you're going to be the person that God wants you to be. And I see that in other people's lives. And I'll just be honest, there are times I, I see those characteristics in my own life. Fear, doubt, a lack of seriousness about the scriptures or some lack of understanding about the scriptures, and trying to live the Christian life in my own strength. And then I wonder why sometimes I'm not living the purposeful life that God has for me. I'm not the only one. I think there are probably others here today who feel that way at times. But we're also not the first ones. Would it surprise you to know that the first followers of Jesus dealt with all of those problems? And here's the problem with those problems. Doubt and fear and and a lack of biblical understanding and powerlessness. The problem with those problems is it it prevents you from living out the purpose that Christ has for your life. And that grand purpose is not only that you be saved, but that you share with others how they too can be saved, how they too can know this great love and this great salvation 
But we get sidelined and we never live out the grand purpose that God has for our lives. We relegate Christianity to sermons and songs. And we become consumers and we forget that Jesus Christ called us to be missionaries to a lost and dying world who needs to hear this message. Jesus did the work of salvation on the cross, but he has entrusted to us the word of salvation in the world. But so often we're not doing it. We're not living it out. In the same way Jesus dealt with his first disciples on that first Easter morning is the way he wants to deal with us today. So what I want to do is take you to Luke chapter 24, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Last week, if you recall, we ended in verse 35 where there were two people leaving Jerusalem, going back to the little village of Emmaus, and Jesus appears to them. And they don't recognize it's Jesus at first. It's not until later as he teaches them the scriptures and he enters their home and breaks bread with them that their eyes are opened and they realize this is Jesus. He is alive from the dead. And as soon as they recognize Jesus, he vanishes. He evidently in this new resurrected body has the power to materialize and dematerialize at will. And he showed up and then he disappeared. And so they make this trek, this seven-mile trek from Emmaus back to Jerusalem to go and tell the disciples this good news. You could almost picture them rushing in that night, having run that seven-mile journey back to Jerusalem, bursting into the room, trying to catch their breath before they tell the news, we saw Jesus, he's alive. And no sooner did they catch their breath do the people in the room say, oh, guess what? Jesus is alive. He's appeared to Simon Peter. It seems always like a letdown to me. These poor guys, you know, they had this great news, but they beat them to the punch. And so this is where we pick up now in Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Jesus shows up once again, unexpectedly. In a, in a room where the Gospel of John says the door was locked. How did he get in? He showed up. He appeared in their midst. And he does something for them that he wants to do for us. He wants to replace their fear with his peace. So he shows up and his first words to them are peace to you. Shalom to you. Not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of God's blessing on you. Shalom to you, peace to you. But it didn't work. There they're minding their own business, talking about these rumors of Jesus being alive from the dead. Simon Peter says, yes, I've seen him. The women said, we were there. The tomb was empty. The angel said, he is risen, just like he said he would be. The two guys, or at least the two companions on the road to Emmaus said, we saw him. He's alive. They're not sure what to make of it. And all of a sudden, boom, Jesus appears in the room. Could you imagine if right now as I'm preaching, he appears on this stage next to me? I would pass out. I would have have thought, I need to have studied more. (laughs) But here he is, and that's how they felt. So rather than alleviating their fears, he probably exacerbated their fears. Now they're really freaking out. And he has to say to them, peace to you. And listen, the resurrected peace, the resurrected Lord is the only one who can really give you peace. 
There's a lot of stuff in this world that will frighten you and cause you anxiety. But if Jesus walked out of the grave alive, he has the authority to speak peace into your life. Where are you hiding behind locked doors afraid? These disciples were hiding behind locked doors afraid of the Jews. In other words, they were afraid that what happened to Jesus could happen to them. They weren't really thinking about being missionaries of good news to the city of Jerusalem. They were worried about being martyrs. They were worried about being the next ones to be killed. And they were hiding behind locked doors, afraid for their very lives. And Jesus appeared and said, let me replace your fear with my peace. I'm the resurrected Lord. If I can overcome the grave, what do you have to be afraid of? Maybe you're hiding behind the locked door of of worrying about your job or worrying about the economy or worrying about the way the world seems to be spinning out of control and it's changing so quickly. Maybe you're, you're worried about the next test result or you're worried about a relationship that seems to be troubled. And I'm not minimizing or ignoring any of that. But what I am going to encourage you to do is remember Jesus walked out of a grave alive and he is with you and he speaks peace to you. If he can walk out of a grave alive, what problem do you have that he can't handle? And it speaks peace into your life. Just yesterday, I gathered with the family who grieved the loss of their beloved wife and mother and grandmother. And we went to a grave site and there we remembered a different grave. A grave that is empty. It is the grave of Jesus Christ of Nazareth who walked out of the tomb alive And the family knew this is not the end because Jesus promised that one day he will come back and he will give us new resurrection bodies. And because of that, they had peace even in the midst of their grief. So he wants to replace your fear with his peace. Look at what else he does. He wants to replace your doubt with belief. Verse 37, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit They thought they saw a ghost. They thought they were seeing an apparition. This can't be Jesus. This this is a ghost. And it scared them silly. Verse 38, and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Do you see it? They just don't believe it. They've already heard the testimony of the empty tomb. They have seen that tomb empty, Peter and John and the women. The two on the road to Emmaus have seen Jesus alive with their own eyes. Simon Peter has had a personal appearance of Jesus. And they have all been commiserating in that upper room behind that locked door. He is risen indeed, but they don't fully believe it. And even now that they can see him, they still don't believe it. They're troubled, they're afraid. And they're doubting. Verse 39. He wants to replace their doubt with belief. He said, see my hands and my feet. That it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones. As you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. It's an amazing thing. Jesus says, why are you still troubled? 
You've heard the testimony of the empty tomb. You've heard that I've appeared to others. You've got eyewitness testimony in this room that I'm alive. And now I'm here and you're still not wanting to believe it? And you're thinking I'm a ghost? Well, let me dispel that notion. And he shows them his hands. He shows them his feet. What is he showing them his hands for? He's showing them, I am the Christ of Calvary. Yes, it's me, the one that you saw crucified on the cross just three days ago. It is me, the Christ of Calvary. He shows them his hands where the nails pierced him. He shows them his feet where the nails went through and fastened him to a Roman stake. It's me, the Christ of Calvary. I'm not a ghost. In fact, I'll prove to you I'm not a ghost. Not only does he go around the room showing them his hands and his feet, but he also says, handle me. A ghost doesn't have flesh and blood and bones, but touch me and you will see. I'm not a figment of your imagination. I'm not just this this disembodied spirit. I'm not this hallucination that other people are going to say that you were having. It's really me. Not only the Christ of Calvary, it's me, the Christ of victory. I'm back. Long before the Terminator said it, the Savior said it. I'll be back. It's me, the Christ of Calvary and the Christ of victory. These scars prove my identity and my victory. I'm not dead any longer. And it begins to dawn on them that this really is Jesus, but it's still feeling too good to be true to them. Look at verse 41. And while they still disbelieved, and why are they still disbelieving now? It's they disbelieved for joy and were marveling, trying to figure this thing out. It's too good to be true. Can we really trust what we're seeing? Can we really trust what we feel with our hands, what we hear with our ears? So while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? Now this isn't because he's hungry. He's wanting to prove them with one more infallible proof, it's me, I'm not a ghost. Verse 42, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Ghosts don't do that, but Jesus did. He's trying to replace their doubt with belief that the resurrection really happened. And this is not some resurrection where we say, well, you know, his spirit lives on. Yeah, his body is dead and decaying in a tomb, but you know, his spirit lives on. That's not the gospel story. That's not the resurrection. Jesus bodily walked out of the tomb alive. And he convinces his disciples of this wonderful truth. And you say, oh, if Jesus would just do that for me, then I would believe. Dear friend, the Christian faith is not based on speculation or theory or myth or fable. It is based on the eyewitness testimony of those who were there. And it is the height of arrogance for you and me 2,000 years later to demand of a holy God that he show up and prove to me with a physical appearance before I will believe. You believe in so much that you don't have any other foundation for than the eyewitness testimony. 
That's the whole system of our, our, our court of law. Our system of judicial law is based on the evidence and eyewitness testimony. But Jesus proved himself to those in the room, most of whom will eventually die as martyrs because they could not stop telling everyone, Jesus is alive. You can persecute me. You can beat me. You can strip me of everything precious to me. You can kill my family. You can even kill me. But I know what I saw. The Savior is alive. And Jesus dispels their doubts with belief. But he also wants to replace their lack of biblical understanding. Look at verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He says, You guys know what I preached. And you know the Old Testament that promised the Messiah would come. And you heard me say to you on numerous occasions, the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. He will be beaten and crucified, but on the third day he will rise again. I told you, and I told you, and I told you. And I preached the Bible to you, and I had Bible lessons with you. And it's one thing for you to not understand it beforehand, but now you ought to be putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Now you ought to say, if Jesus is standing here alive in front of us, then I can believe anything he ever said. By the way, that's good theology. Can I tell you, there's a lot of stuff about God and the ways of God I don't understand, but I've just staked my life on whatever Jesus says. Because if he can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off three days later, I'm going to follow him and trust him with every other doubt or question I've got. I'm just going to go with him. Because he's the one who is victorious. Look at verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. You ever met people who know the Bible better than you, but they don't believe in Jesus? This is why. Because it's not enough to just have head knowledge of the scriptures. You need the Holy Spirit of God opening your understanding. And that's what Jesus did for them and he wants to do for us. Verse 46, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Verse 47, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. Jesus says this was the plan of God all along. The plan of God was for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer for the sins of the world. But also the plan of God was for the Messiah to rise from the dead on the third day, victorious and powerful. But part of God's plan includes you, my followers, Jesus says. Because part of God's plan is not only that the Christ would suffer and die and rise from the dead, but that you would go out and preach repentance for the forgiveness of sin in his name, beginning in Jerusalem and going throughout the whole world. That too is a part of God's plan. The Easter story doesn't end with Jesus walking out of the tomb alive. The Easter story continues with me and you sharing this good news with the whole world, beginning in Jerusalem. Which is strange because in the Old Testament, the Jews kind of had this concept that all the nations would come to Jerusalem. Hey, we're going to be a light to the nations and all the nations are going to come to us. Jesus says, no, you're going to start in Jerusalem and go to the world. 
You're going to start right here at ground zero with the people who crucified me and who didn't believe in me. And you're going to start right here. You're going to start with the very ones who could dispute this, per, this proclamation of an empty tomb and a resurrected Savior. And who could prove it to be untrue if it were untrue. You're going to start right here. But you're going to take the gospel to the whole world. That's what Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6 says. God says, I'm going to reveal my glory so that the nations can see my salvation. You say, what does that have to do with me, pastor? Everything. Don't you see, as long as we're living in fear and doubt and a lack of seriousness about the scriptures, we're never going to fulfill the purpose God has for us. And that is to tell more people about Jesus. I am so afraid that we Christians have turned church into a club. And I don't mean a nightclub. I'm talking about a country club. Where we are more concerned about the perks and the privileges of membership. And we forget that long before we were called members, we are missionaries. We've got good news to go and to tell a lost and dying world about this Jesus who loves them so much that he gave his life for them. And, and Jesus said to those men in that room, you are witnesses of these things. You are eyewitnesses of my resurrection. Go and tell. And as your pastor, I'm going to tell you that I have not been a perfect pastor. I, I, I'm not in if, and, and I apologize if I've ever hurt you or disappointed you or let you down. But I can tell you this with full sincerity. Every decision I've ever made as your pastor has been to be the best I know to be in following the teachings of Jesus Christ, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, equipping the people and loving the people, but also sharing the gospel as a church with our community and the world. You say, well, sometimes it's uncomfortable and you change things and we don't like change. Tell that to a Christ who stretched out his arms and bled and died on the cross. That you're uncomfortable. That you want your, your preferences and your traditions. We ought to be willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to reach one more soul with the good news of Jesus Christ if that's what it requires. Because Jesus said, I'm sending you to go and to tell, to be my witnesses. But before you do it, there's one more thing he's got to replace. He's got to replace not only our fear with his peace and our doubts with belief and our lack of biblical understanding with understanding. He's got to replace our powerlessness with his power. Verse 49, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus says, you can't do this on your own strength. But the Father has promised that when I return to heaven, I can send the Holy Spirit, the personal presence of God, to be not only with you, but in you individually and in you collectively. And I'll be with you always through the person of the Holy Spirit. And He is going to clothe you like a letter is enclosed in an envelope. The Holy Spirit of God is going to clothe you and He's going to give you the power you need to be my witnesses. Jesus is saying to these first apostles, the sent ones, He's saying to them, it's not going to be easy. You're not going to be popular. It's not going to be convenient. 
You're going to put your lives on the line for me. There are going to be times you're, you're tired and you're weary and you're hurting and you're rejected and you're ostracized and you're broken, you're poor, all because of me. But in that moment, you're going to have the Holy Spirit of God who is going to give you a supernatural strength that is not your own. And of course, we know the rest of the story. We don't have time this morning But eventually, 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus went back to the Father in heaven, according to the same writer of the Gospel of Luke when he wrote the next book. We call it the book of Acts. And after Jesus went back to the right hand of God the Father, a few days later, on the day of Pentecost, he sent the Holy Spirit of God. And the people were filled with the Spirit of God. And having been filled with the Spirit, they went out into the streets of Jerusalem. And they began to gossip the gospel to everyone who would listen. Jesus lives. Christ rose from the dead. Thousands of people were in the streets. And Peter gets up and he preaches a bold sermon. Turn from your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And on that day, 3,000 people trusted Christ, were saved, and were baptized into the church. It was a beautiful picture of the power of God at work in people's lives. And could it be that we are leaning on our own strength rather than the strength of the Holy Spirit whom Jesus sent to be powerful witnesses to our neighbors, our family members, and our friends? Here's the bottom line for us today. Jesus finished the work of salvation and trust us with the word of salvation. Jesus did his part. He did everything necessary for our salvation. He paid the price in full. He finished the work of salvation. You can't add to his work, your good works, and add to what Jesus did on the cross, your merit. You and I don't deserve God's grace. As we sang a moment ago, it is amazing grace. That saved a wretch like me and you. Nothing I've done. Nothing I deserve. It is the sheer love of God. Jesus finished the work of salvation. He even said as much on the cross of Calvary. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm done with the work you gave me to do. So while he finished the work, he trusts us with the word of salvation. Go and be my witnesses. Go and tell others this good news. The whole world, in the Greek, where he says all nations, it's, it's panta, all, ta ethne, all the ethnicities, all the people groups, all the nations, all the tribes, all the tongues of the world need to hear this good news. And that is why Christianity is a missionary movement. It's not about just songs and sermons. It is about taking the saving knowledge of Jesus to a world who desperately needs to hear it. And listen, if our world's ever needed to hear the love of Jesus, it is now. And America is not a Christian nation. We are a post-Christian nation. And while we're going to go to the ends of the earth to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ, we better not forget our own neighbors and family members and children and grandchildren and co-workers need Jesus too. And we need to be the ones to tell them. And as your pastor, I will never apologize for pushing us out of our comfort zone to go and to tell this good news. Because Jesus walked out of a grave alive 
This changes everything. That's the purpose he has for your life. Remember last year, before everything happened with the pandemic, we, we asked you, who's your one? Who's that one person in your life you want to see come to faith in Jesus Christ? We had a big display here at the front, just the word one, O-N-E. And we asked you, write that name and start praying for that person. And look for opportunities to share your story with that person. And you wrote hundreds of names of people that you want to see come to faith in Jesus. Dear friend, if that's your one, what are you going to do about it? When are you going to tell them? When are you going to talk to them? When are you going to share your story of salvation? When are you going to invite them to church? Who's your one? Let's start telling the good news of Jesus. Because Jesus walked out of that grave alive, and that changes everything for us and for them. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this reminder today from your holy word that the resurrection of Jesus is real, and it changes everything. And we thank you for this reminder that Jesus offers us peace for our fear. And he, he offers us belief for our doubts. And he offers us understanding for our lack of biblical understanding. And most of all, he offers us power for our weakness to tell the good news of Jesus. And having done and having completed and having finished the work of salvation, he now trusts us with the word of salvation. And Father, I know the question remains, will Jesus find us faithful to do our part, to go and to tell? Father, would you help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to be men and women on mission for a cause greater than ourselves, the mission of telling the good news of Jesus to those who desperately need to hear it. Father, if there's anybody in this moment right now who needs Jesus as their Savior, I pray that they would turn from their sin and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sin. And why Jesus? Because he died for them on the cross. He paid the price for their forgiveness. He is the Son of God who loves them so much that he gave himself for them. And he walked out of a grave alive. So he can hear them when they pray. Maybe right now, if that's you, you need Jesus. Maybe right now you'll say, dear Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin as I turn and trust you to be my Lord and my Savior. I receive your forgiveness. Help me not to be ashamed of Jesus. Help me to tell someone about this decision I've made today. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everyone said, amen.